Today, I'm going to finish up a two-part message that I started last week uh, called Undignified. Um, th- this message or this message uh, pair that we're talking about, really, uh, we're comparing and, co- and contrasting pride and, and dignity. And, and we're talking about the fact that clearly Scripture uh, Clearly, Scripture warns us about pride and the sin of pride, but clearly, Scripture calls us to a place of dignity, and that dignity is a reflection of the fact that we are created in the image of God, and as people who are secured in God, we know who we are. And then here's here's what we see in Scripture. Because I know who I am, uh, because I'm secured in Christ, I now have the ability to I have the ability to lay that aside, to offer that as an offering to the Lord, and I can get undignified before the Lord, and we've been specifically looking at an occurrence in the life of David where Scripture says he, he became undignified, and it was said about him as if it was an insult, but in reality, it was an expression of his surrender before the Lord. I referred last week uh, to a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2. I, I just, I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you because it's it's just so powerful to me. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and he's encouraging them. He's calling them to this place of unity. He said, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you uh, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is our example of Jesus. This is an expression of Jesus and who Jesus is and exactly what Jesus did. Jesus became undignified. He'd emptied himself literally for the sake of you and me, but he did so because he fully understood as God that he had the capacity. He was full and so he could empty himself. He demonstrated for us and Paul uses him as an example and he says to the believers, be like Christ. Become undignified, be like Christ, empty yourself, be willing, be willing to humble yourself. See, a lot of people confuse pride and dignity and they think they're the same thing when in fact they're not the same thing at all. Dignity is a sense of respecting oneself because of what is internally known. We talked about this last week. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last Sunday, you can go to YouTube, you can watch the message online, or you can download the podcast. I would encourage you to do that, to pick up uh, what we learned last week. We learned that, that dignity is different than pride. Dignity is a sense of respecting oneself because of what I already know, because of what has been established inside of me. On the other hand, pride is an attempt to settle internal uncertainty through external means. Pride is an attempt 
to try to settle the conflict that's going on inside of you. Pride is the fact that I don't know exactly who I am or what I am, so I need to prove it. I need to demonstrate it. I need to convince other people, and I need to convince myself. That's the difference between pride and dignity. Dignity is based on what I know. Pride is based on what I want to be known, what I'm projecting, what, what I need to prove to other people or what I need to prove to myself. And so oftentimes these things can look the same. Oftentimes they can seem like they're the same thing, but biblically pride is something that moves us away from our identity in Christ, while on the other hand, dignity is a full expression. In fact, it is an emptying of ourselves because of what Christ has done for us. People who struggle with pride struggle with trying to control the environment, trying to control perception trying to control it for their own self and for the sake of others. I made a statement last week as we looked at 2 Samuel chapter 6. Someone uh, shared with me this week that this statement meant a lot to them, and I wanted to kind of pick up uh, at this statement because it's where we sort of left off at last week's message. I said this. I said, never allow a person committed to their chains to define your freedom. See, the story that we looked at last week from 2 Samuel chapter 6 was the story of David when David uh, was uh, attempting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back uh, to Israel, uh, representative really of God's presence among the people. And as he did that, of course, he, in the beginning, operated out of his pride and got it wrong, and it was, it was disaster. But in humility, he, he, after, after disaster, in humility, he returned to a right place of obedience and began to follow exactly what the Lord told him to do. And in his obedience, we see David coming to a place of humility where he emptied himself of the pride and the trappings of being king and really just became his authentic self and began to worship the Lord. And as he did so, there were others in his life, particular one of it, particular his wife who happened to be who happened to be the daughter of Saul, who was bitter over the fact that she was no longer ruling as Saul's daughter, uh, who was bitter over the fact that something had changed and different in her life. And in, in David's worship, she began to question him and began to question his ex, sort of his excessive behavior. I want to read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21 through 23. It says this, David said to Michael, and this is how he responded to her when she said, listen, you're, you're behaving like a fool. He said, listen, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from the house, uh, from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Michael, who sees David's behavior as he's worshiping wildly before the Lord. The, the Bible says that he took off his, his kingly garment. He was, he, was just, he, was just, he was just down to his civvies, guys. <laughs> he was just being real, and he was worshiping. And here this, this girl who grew up, she grew up in the king's home. She knew how you were supposed to act. She knew how you were supposed to behave. She knew what you were supposed to dress like in church. Guys, I've been pastoring a long time. I cannot 
tell you how many times somebody had come up to me and said, do they not know how you're supposed to dress in church? She needs to wear more clothes. I always want to ask, why are you looking? But anyway. She knew how you were supposed to be the, the king, right? She had a problem with the way David was behaving. And so she said, you're being undignified, David. You're humiliating yourself. David said, listen, uh, that's your problem. That's not my problem. I'm not going to let your chains, the fact that you remain bitter. over." I pointed this out last week. Scott, you go listen to last week's. She was still bitter over what she lost, even though she still had access to everything that she thought she had lost. It was, that was such a good point last week. I can't get over it. The Lord just kept me there. And she just stayed there. And David said, listen, I'm not going to let your chains bind me. I'm going to, I'm going to, because I've already, I already know that I messed up whenever I tried to be all proper and prim and put on a big show. I tried to put on a big show. And as a result of putting on a big show, I, I got myself I hurt myself, I hurt other people, I, I robbed the people of the fullness of God's presence. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm just, I'm just gonna empty myself and, and, and it's just the way that it's gonna be. He said, listen, God is the one who did this. I don't have any control over this. You don't have any control over this. This is just uh, the way it's gonna be and if you don't like it, I'm, I'll, I'll, get unmore, I'll get even more undignified. I, I'll, do what, I'll do whatever it costs because I'm not gonna allow your perception of how I'm supposed to behave to control my response to God. See, bitterness is a set of lenses that causes you to be critical of other people's freedom. You, when, when you're bitter... When you're bitter, when you're stuck, you, the way it manifests itself in your life is because you're not free, you, you feel it necessary to point out other people's freedom and to get mad at other people's freedom. Um, and that's exactly what, what Michael was doing. And David said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna respond that. I'm not gonna allow your bitterness uh, to define me. I'm not, I'm not gonna allow your bitterness to rob me of the joy of this moment when God's presence is returning to his people. And as believers, we, we have to make choices and we have to make decisions that we're not going to put on other people's offenses. We're not going to put on other people's chains. We're not going to put on other people's perceptions. We're not going to put on other people's expectations. And, and I think that that's something that has bound us in the body of Christ is, is we have a tendency to take on other people's expectations and other people's problems and to make them our own. We allow other people to define our worship. We allow other people to define our response to God. And uh, David said, I'm not... I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna get undignified. If that's what you call dignity, which is in reality pride, uh, then I'm just gonna be undignified in this, in this situation because this is who I am and this is how God has called me to respond. I wanna move on today. I want us to look, uh, and we'll come back to this story a little bit later, but I want us to look in Luke chapter 18. Um, Jesus is telling a series of parables and each of the parables he's making uh, some points and then he comes to a, a, a pair of parables where he, in particular, is talking about humility. And I want us, I want us to focus in on humility because humility, um, humility is, is possible with, with dignity. And uh, sometimes, sometimes people don't understand pride. They don't understand uh, dignity, and they don't understand humility. They think that humility uh, is the opposite of dignity, and it's not the same thing. In fact, it's not the opposite. In fact, you're only able to be humble if you have dignity. If you don't have dignity, then, then you're not really being humble. You're practicing what's called false humility. 
And religious people, hear me, religious people do not practice humility. Religious people practice false humility. Pride still exists in their heart. Just like they practice certain principles or routines or rituals to justify themselves, they practice certain rituals or routine in a way to demonstrate that they are justified, and that's, that's false humility. Let's look at that. Say, um, let's look at that. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So this is about Jesus. He's saying, he's telling some parables and and the writer makes it really clear, Jesus specifically is addressing people who are at a place of self-righteousness, self-justification, people who are practicing false humility, people who were religious. They really, they really, they really had not allowed the transformative power of God to work in their life. They were self-righteous. This is what he said. Um, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at the distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you this, that the man, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the thing I want you to see. False humility makes a show, but withholds surrender. Really, from this, from this parable, what we can see is that false humility makes a show, but withholds surrender. There's the comparison that Jesus offers between these two people. Remember, he's telling this story. People are listening to him. And as Jesus often does, he, he flips the paradigm of the mindset of the people that he would have been talking to. The mindset of the people that he would have been talking to is they would have considered, they would have considered the Pharisee the hero in the story. They would have considered the Pharisee as the person of God, the man of God. They would have considered the Pharisee as the right and righteous one. They would have considered the Pharisee as, as the good one in the story. And they would have considered the tax collector as the bad one, as the unrighteous one. The, the tax collector would have been, uh, the tax collector would have been the enemy in this story. And as Jesus often does, he flips the script and he paints a picture that would have been shocking to his audience. And he tells the story, and he says, listen, the Pharisee comes, and the Pharisee does what Pharisees do, and he begins to pray. He comes right up, and he begins to pray. And uh, if, you read, if you read it in original language, it's so interesting because in this, this short little prayer of the Pharisee, the, prayer, the Pharisee in, in this short little prayer says, I, five times. 
This prayer wasn't about God. This prayer was about, it was about the Pharisee. That's the thing about pride. That's the thing about pride is pride makes everything all about me. And the thing about false humility is false humility takes everything that's all about me and it wraps it in religion. Look at what I have done. Look at who I am. Look at how I sacrifice. Look at how I serve. God, this is all, I know this is a prayer to you, but it's really about me. We all would take and look at a prideful person or a person we would say prideful and we can see that it's all about them. But here's what religious people do. Religious people take pride and they repackage it as false humility. They wrap around it religious principles and activities and they wrap around it religious stuff, but it's really still all about me. It's all about what I do. It's all about what I get. It's all about who I am. It's all about how other people see me. And it's all about how I see myself. And that's the difference between a, true, a person who's truly from a, living from a place of dignity and a, place, a person who's living in a place of pride. You may say, oh, I'm the most insecure person in the building. I'm, I'm not prideful. But listen, if your life is all about you, you're still self-obsessed. You can call it insecurity or you can call it pride, but it's the same thing. It's two sides of the exact same coin. And religious people, because they put on the show, they put on the show of serving God, they put on the show of doing godly things, they think they have absolved themselves of the sin of pride when in reality, when in reality, it really is all about them. What did he do? He praised himself. He said, God, look at, look at me. He didn't praise God, he praised himself. Think about that for a moment. His worship was about himself. His worship wasn't about God. Undignified worship is always about God. Prideful worship is all about, it's all about me. Sometimes we look at other people and we observe their behavior. They sing too loud. They're too demonstrative. Or they're not demonstrative enough. And we think, oh, look at them. I sing so much better. I know exactly the right angle to hold my hands. Worship. I don't dance wildly. I've got this perfect two-step thing. I know what I'm supposed to do. It's, it's controlled. It's calculated. It projects the right message. I'm not swaying my hips so much as to you know, make anyone sin. So just the right angle of tilt but just enough so that people know that. <laughs> Hello? Look at, look at me, God. Look at how I worship. Look at how I praise. It's really not about God. It's, it's about myself. What, what, did, what did he do? In, in this supposed prayer, five times he mentioned himself. It was all about him. He praised himself. He com I said this last week. Here's the thing about pride. Here's the thing about false humility. It's always, it always, 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 always is rooted in comparison. Thank you, God, that I am not like that 
tax collector. I'm not like the... I'm, I'm not like the adulterer or the evildoer. I'm not like this person or that person. I'm not like any. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those people. The problem with false humility is that false humility wraps, it wraps our obsession with ourself around religious language and we continue, oh God, thank you. Thank you that I'm not like this. It was still dependent upon me. Do you hear his language? Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Still dependent upon his behavior, his action, how he controlled the situation. Wasn't really praise to God. I read this this week and thought it was really powerful. Um, A powerful way to illustrate pride and false humility. When we look at others as windows and we see them in the beauty and grace and glory of God, we know that we're operating from a place of humility. But, but, when, but when we see others as mirrors that beg the question, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's fairest of them all? That's when we know we're not operating from a place of humility. We're operating from a place of pride. When I look at you and I look at, the, I look at your worship and I look at your service and I look at the way you live your life, when I see you and what I see is the when I praise God because of who you are and what you are, and I don't feel the need to compare myself to you, that's when I know that I'm operating from a place of dignity. But when I'm operating from a place of pride, our false humility, when I see you, all I'm doing is comparing you to me. Either you're something to make me feel better about myself or you're something to make me feel worse about myself. If you'll get this, it'll change your life. If you will get this simple truth I'm sharing with you today, it'll change your life. It's a secret to help you understand how you're living. When you look at others... And when you observe them, if you see them in light of mercy, grace, love, praise to God, if you look at others and automatically you begin to worship God because of them, if you look at others and automatically you become stirred of God's power and glory because of his work in their life or, or, or the work that has yet to happen, then you know you're operating from a place of dignity. But when I look at others and they either make me feel better about myself or they make me feel worse about myself, when others become objects, I know right then and there, I don't care what your religious activity is. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care if you hold your hands the right way in worship. I don't care how you dance. I don't care what you do. When I see others as a way to build myself up or tear myself down, I know that in my soul, I'm operating from a place of deficit. I know that in my soul, I'm not living out of dignity. I'm, I'm living out of pride. Pride reflecting itself either through false humility or not. Jesus wanted it to be very, very clear. This man justified himself. He said, I fast twice a week. Now, what... Many of us don't know about biblical times is that 
And during Jesus' day, many of the Pharisees and very religious Jewish people would often uh, fast twice a week. They would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And it's because tradition had said that it, Moses went up on the mountain on Monday to get the revelation, the law from God. And he came back down the mountain on Thursday. So religious tradition had added to the religious practice of that day. If you really were a good Jewish person, you would fast on Monday and you would fast on Thursday. Now, it wasn't written in law anywhere that you had to you had to fast on Monday and you had to fast on Thursday, but everybody knew that if you were a really, really good Jew, you fasted on Monday and you fasted on Thursday. So what this man was referring to when he was telling God how great he was, God was saying, he was saying, God, I'm not just a, I'm not just a religious Jew, but I'm a super religious Jew. I don't just follow the, the rules. I follow the rules on top of the rules. I'm justified, I'm good because of the bonus, the extra credit. How many extra credit people do we got in the house? You don't do 40 hours a week, you do 48.6 because you're going to get extra credit. When you were in school, you didn't just finish the work, you added the extra credit. Come on, I, let's see your hands, all you extra credit people. Nobody wants to raise their hand. I know you're out there. Some of us are just wired that way. And here's the thing about getting, getting religious is when we get religious and we start to operate from a place of works, we can get to this place where we do, we do. So, and here's what, here's what's so interesting. This was tradition. This was, they just added this on. Oh, well, yeah, Moses went up on Monday and he came back on Thursday. So if we're gonna fast, let's fast on those days. Let's honor those days. Let's just be, let's just be super righteous. Hello? And, and now, now they had made it a part of the culture. They made it a part. Now everybody should just know to fast on Monday. And here's what would happen. On Monday and Thursdays were the market day. In other words, those were the day that people came to the city and they came to the market. And when we talk about them fasting, they weren't just like going without food, kind of subtle, low-key going out with food. No, 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 no. When they fasted, they would like, they would make sure everybody could tell with their clothes. They would go unshaven and unwashed. They would come into the, the busiest day of the week in the city and they would make sure everybody knew just how religious they were. How hard they were working for God. I'm not, I'm justified, God. Look at what I do. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Thank God. Thank you, God. I, I'm not, I'm, I, I fast, I'm not like this publican. I, I'm, not, I'm not like this other adulterer over here. Listen, truth is, the Pharisee was doing all the right things, but his heart was in the wrong place. And the thing about, the thing about pride, the thing about false humility that makes it different than, than dignity is, is pride, false humility. It's like this bully that's just constantly tearing you down. Constantly making you feel bad about yourself. Constantly causing you uh, to feel the need to justify yourself. Takes your lunch money every day. 
takes your lunch money every day. And you know one of the worst things that can happen to somebody who's ever been bullied is for them to go through a growth spurt. I never had my growth spurt, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I've seen it. There were little dudes with me back in grade school. We got picked on. You get to grade seven, grade eight, those guys grew up. I didn't. You know the worst thing that can happen when you've been bullied is you hit a growth spurt, you get some power, you get some authority, you become a little bit religious, all of a sudden you start doing things right, you start looking the right way. You know who the worst bullies are? People who've been bullied. That's the way, that's the way pride is. Pride just turns inward and it becomes false humility and then that gives us that gives us the stance from which, what do we do? We begin to bully other people. We begin to try to enforce in other people. No, 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 no. It's not enough that you come to temple to pray. You're not fasting on Monday and Thursday. You're not really doing it right. Yeah, yeah, I know you know the law of Moses, but there's this extra stuff that, you know, we do here at North Place. We, got, we don't just have the two-step. We have the two-step and the three-step. You do that here. There's extra stuff here. We, yeah, 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 we don't, we don't just do this. We do this other thing here because we're really spiritual. And you become a bully. We become, we become bully. And that's exactly who this man became. It wasn't enough for it to be I, I, I. All of a sudden, now he had to tear down the other guy. All of a sudden, now he had to take shots at the other guy. But, but Jesus, flipping the script, says, no, see, here's the thing, the... The tax collector, what is he? He he has a very different response. His his prayer isn't about him. It's about it's about God. Only when he talks about himself, he says, "I'm unworthy." Beats his beats his heart. There's no other way to express God. I'm I'm the sinner. Read it in original language. He's like, "I am I am the sinner. I'm the sinner of all sinners. God, I've got nothing to offer you." I've got nothing to give. Thank you. Thank you, God. Because I know there's no way I can, there's no way I can make it. There's no way I can do anything here, Lord, unless, unless you have mercy on me. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he was. He was an object of grace. I want to help you some, with something today. You never grow out of that. If you're in this room today, you are an object of grace. The moment that you and I begin to think any different than that is the moment that we lose sight of the fact. That we lose sight of the fact that we are only justified because God justifies us. Scripture says that when those two men left and they went home that day, one of them left justified. It wasn't the one who had done all of the right things. It wasn't the one who was doing all of the right activity in his life. It was the one who was behaving ridiculously, emotionally, overly expressively. God, I need you. I can't even look up. I know who I am. Not the dignified, right? True dignity was found in the humility True dignity was found in the humility 
of the one who understood his need for God. False humility makes a show, but it, it withholds surrender. That man was all about his activity. He was all about what he did, but he would not surrender his pride. He would not surrender his identity. He held on to his identity. He controlled it himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, understood. He understood, I am in need of God's mercy and grace. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, another story about Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The story is in another example and continues the concept that Jesus was expressing in that parable, and that is one of humility, and what comes out of humility is complete surrender. This woman, in her humility, gave all that she had. Jesus, on the other hand, says, look, these wealthy people, they gave large amounts of money, but the large amount of money in comparison to what they have was, was nothing. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the surrender of the person's heart. Over and over and over again, Scripture causes us, calls us to understand that what God calls us to is a place of obedient surrender. You see, pride causes us to operate out of a deficit, so it limits our ability to give. When I'm living and operating in pride, I'm always measuring what I'm doing. I'm always measuring what I'm doing by what I have because I believe that what I have is dependent upon me. I'm always measuring my activity because I gotta take measurements. Prideful people always have to take measurements. False humility is always taking, it's always taking the temperature. It's always gotta know, what do I have in reserve? What do I have left? If I give this much, is it gonna be too much? Will I have anything left at the end of the month? On the other hand, humility is only possible when I have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. Humility is only possible when I have nothing to lose, therefore I have nothing to gain. See, humility is only possible when I'm living in dignity, and dignity is only possible when I'm in Christ. Conversely, therefore, when I am in Christ, I can give everything. Because what I understand is everything that I have doesn't belong to me anyways. This widow in her poverty understood her dependence upon God. That's why it didn't matter. The measure didn't matter. What mattered was that she responded. The person in their wealth needed to measure because in their measurement, in their measurement, they thought their source was what they had. Someone who's truly living in humility isn't always, isn't always measuring their reserves. Now, we've had water problems the last few weeks. Some of us have had water problems the last few years. And I don't know how it works at your house, but recently we've had to, we've had to, we've had to ration the water. 
And I have found myself being very aware of water usage. Like I'm running around, like anytime I hear a tap, a toilet, who's using water, what is it for, where's it going? (laughs) Because there's apparently not an endless supply coming from the municipality lately. Um, And because there's not an endless supply, there's a need to measure. Hello? A person of dignity, a person who's in Christ, understands they have no control over their source or their resource, and they understand that their source and their resource is endless. Therefore, they can be lavish. We're coming back to the story of David. David was able to be lavish because he had arrived at a place where his source, his source was no longer himself. His source was not the perception that other people had about him. His source was not his own power. His source was not his own ability. He had come to the place where he had, he had arrived at a place where he understood, Our, my source is God. God is great. His glory, his blessing is His blessing is where his presence at. I want his blessing. I want his presence more than I want anything else so I can operate without limit because I'm not the source. Any of us are going to always struggle with pride or if we're religious, false humility as long as we're measuring the source. As long as we think We're the source. We're always going to know the limitation. Say that again. As long as we think we're the source, we're always going to think there is a limitation. Therefore, we're going to limit our response. We're going to limit what we give. Some of us are like, I have nothing left to give. That's exactly where you need to be. I have nothing left. Great. Perhaps now you can start tapping into his source. I have nothing left to offer. Wonderful. Now maybe you can start depending on him. Emotionally, I have nothing left to give. Good. Those things get in the way anyways. Spiritually, I'm empty. Wonderful. Now maybe you can be filled. Financially, it's all spent, it's all gone. Wonderful. Maybe now he can teach you what it's like to live in the kingdom economy. Oh, that's easy for you to say, you haven't lived my life. No. You know what, I'm sorry. It's not easy for me to say. I haven't lived your life, but I've lived mine. I haven't walked in your shoes, but I've walked in mine. And these things are hard lessons to learn. This woman demonstrated on that day exactly what it was like to live in the kingdom. She didn't live out of a deficit. She lived from a place of abundance. Everyone in the room looked at her and said, oh, she's poor. She has nothing. But she understood the secret. She understood abundance. She gave it all. Because she was operating from a place of humility. I want to encourage you today. 
Jesus has called you. He's called you to a place of abundance, but that place of abundance doesn't look like the world's abundance. In our world, when a person has abundance, what do they do? In our world in South Africa, when a person has abundance, what do they do? They become opulent. Not for, not for others, but for themselves. You know who's got money. They make sure we all know it. Hello? But in the kingdom, in the kingdom when people are tapped into the resource, when people are truly tapped into blessing, it doesn't look like how the world manifests blessing. That's garbage. It's not biblical. True biblical blessing always expresses itself in humility, not opulence. And I read it to you in the beginning of this message, Jesus himself, how did he demonstrate God the most to the world was in humility, not opulence. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not biblical. We've got to erase it. We've got to rewire our minds. Biblical blessing is expressed through humility, not opulence. Because I don't, I don't have anything to prove. I don't have anything to prove because I'm not insecure. I don't need you to know. we can get this, change everything. Change everything. If we can teach this, if we can model this, it'll change everything. I don't, I don't want to make a thing about this, but I want you to understand how it works, so I'm going to go ahead and just go there. Here's the deal. If we teach this and we model this and we live this, we won't have to worry about the people who come to church dressed the wrong way for the wrong reasons. Because if their heart is right, they've got nothing to prove and nothing to show. So the way they dress won't be an attempt or an expression of that. I don't have to mess around with that nonsense. Because it doesn't matter. What matters is their heart. You get how this works? Midlife crises that ruin marriages don't, don't be, they're not, it's not a problem anymore. I'm not having to run around and police the activity of every person because they're living from their brokenness and insecurity. We don't, we don't have to do that. We don't have to make up rules on top of rules and add extra days of fasting and demonstrating our holiness to prove because we got nothing to prove we just are We're operating from a place of humility we create a, a place
place where our sons and daughters can be sons and daughters. And when they're expressive, we're not chasing them to the back of the room. Oh, if you want to worship like that, you have to go to the back of the room. What? Oh, if you, if you want to be loud, then you got to, what? What are we doing? What are we doing? What kind of mindset is this? We had days on top of days because maybe Moses did this and I once had heard somebody preach this, so that must mean this, so this equals that. What? The widow just came and emptied her pockets. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All I know is I'm in God's presence and everything that I have isn't mine, and so let me just give it. David says, I value God's presence more than my reputation. Let me just... Let me just express this. There's so much freedom and humility. My hope for you today, my hope for you today is that you find that freedom, that you live in that freedom, that you not live under the oppressive condemnation of insecurity pride and in particular most twisted pride that expresses itself through false humility it still keeps us in bondage but instead whether you've been in the church your whole life or today's your first day that you recognize and you understand what I read to you when I started this message that Jesus came that he humbled himself and that he gave himself so that you could have freedom so that I could have freedom so that I could surrender everything the difference between David and Saul was this. During your daily 20, I encourage you to go read. Go read about David and read about Saul this week. The difference, as Michael, Saul's daughter, said, David, you're undignified. You're, you're behaving wrongly. The difference between David and Saul was David was willing to learn when he had messed up. And Saul, he wasn't like, he wasn't like David. He wasn't willing to get undignified. And instead, Saul controlled everything. And he didn't trust God. The Bible says on many occasions, on many occasions, Saul took things into his own hands. He tried to control what didn't belong to him. You can write this down and you can go read it later. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul took what didn't belong to him. He justified it, disobeyed God. God sent Samuel and said, listen, Saul, here's the deal. I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about your religious activity. What I care about is obedience. Here's how you know that you're truly living in humility. It's how you truly know dignity has established itself in you. You're not, you're not living from a place of control. You're not living from a place where God tells you to do one thing and then you make up all the other extra loopholes to do everything else. Saul, in his pride, controlled. David, in his humility, released. Saul, in his pride, found loopholes. David, in his humility, became extravagant. 
Saul in his pride, in his false humility, added extra stuff to make up for the stuff in the places where he disobeyed God. David said, I was wrong to disobey you, God. Now I'm going to do it exactly the way you tell me to do it. Being undignified does not mean being religious. Being undignified does not mean following all the religious rules. Being undignified means I surrender. It means I'm going to be obedient. It's not about measuring your sacrifice. It's about being obedient to what God has called you to sacrifice. It's not measuring your sacrifice against other people's. Measuring your worship against other people's. Measuring your response against other people's. Measuring your activity against other people. It's about, God, I'm just going to do exactly what you tell me to do. So when you say jump, I'm going to jump. Some of us, no, 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 I have to ask God, how high do you want me to jump? Where do you want me to jump? What shoes should I be wearing? No, jump. What days of the week were you expecting me to jump, Lord? No, jump. Is it possible that the pursuit of the answers to all your questions, is it possible? But it's a demonstration of your need to control. Is it possible? Is it possible? God has called you. He's called you. And the response is not the what ifs and the exceptions. The response should be, Lord, I'll give it even more undignified than this. Whatever, whatever you want. I'll do it. The answer is yes.